want to thank you for the reminders this morning as we've worshipped of your life for us, that your power is for us, and that you are with us, and because of that we can pray on. We can continue to do what you've called us to do, despite anything else that might be happening around us. As we open up your word and turn our attention to what you've written for us today, I pray that we would make commitments in line with your word and that we would learn from Stephen's life so that we can make a difference in our world today. So in your name we ask and pray, amen and amen. If you've got your Bible, open it up with me. If it's on a device, go ahead and turn that on and get with me to the book of Acts. The book of Acts, we're going to be in chapter 6 this morning. Actually, going to cover a couple of chapters. We'll not read every verse in both of those chapters, but we'll cover uh, these two chapters, Acts chapter 6 and Acts chapter 7. As I want to share with you today a, a message entitled, When Common People Make Uncommon Commitments. And as we have worked our way through Acts, we are now, this is the 10th sermon we've spent in this book, and, and we've seen several names that are familiar to us. We, we've seen names like Matthew and Thomas and, and Philip and Andrew and James, and, and we've seen a couple of names that have come up repeatedly. Specifically, we've seen the name of Peter and John come up several times in just these first five chapters. Now, our temptation is to see those names and to think about the people who are behind those names and to place those people on this, in, in, this, in this world where they are supernatural saints and, and they're at some level of their maturity that we can never reach or they're in some level of how God's using them that God can never do that for us. But the reality is just the opposite. These followers of Jesus were plain ordinary common people. But you see, God's pattern is to use common people to do uncommon things. His pattern is to use ordinary folks like me and you to do extraordinary things for his kingdom. Paul summed up God's pattern in doing that when he wrote a letter to the Corinthians. And I want you to, to listen to what he said. He told them in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he said, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in this world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are wise, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. The people in this first ch church in the book of Acts, they did not have any kind of programming. They did not have a marketing strategy. They did not have a Facebook audience to which they could appeal. In fact, they only had a couple of things in their arsenal, and that is a commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ that was undergirded by prayer and the filling of the Holy Spirit. And that's all they needed to do what God had called them to do. What I want you to hear me say this morning before we jump in and look at this case study, and what I need you to believe and to understand is that we have the same gospel they had. 
We possess the same Holy Spirit that they possessed. We follow the same Jesus that they followed. They were common. We are common. They were ordinary. We are ordinary. God used them to change their world, and God can use us to change our world. The difference between then and now is going to hinge on the commitments that you and I make. Or maybe better stated, that you and I don't make. To further illustrate this pattern, we're going to see a man in Acts chapter 6, a man named Stephen. Stephen is about as ordinary and common as a believer as there ever has been. Stephen is not an apostle. Stephen did not go to seminary. Stephen was not involved in Awana growing up. Stephen did not have a lot of scripture memorized by the time the church is birthed. Stephen was not even... As best we can see, as Acts chapter 6 opens up, Stephen is not one of the leaders of the church. He's just an average guy. And yet God used him greatly. See, by the time we get to Acts chapter 5, the church has become a huge movement. It's got at least 10,000 people involved, all in one city And with growth comes some growing pains, and there came a problem as Acts chapter 6 opens up. It says, now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. This has the potential to be a serious problem. One group in the church is accusing a different group in the church of prioritizing and showing favoritism to the widows who belong to their group. Notice that the verse says uh, that a complaint arose That means that before this thing got public, there were little groups who were chatting. There was some murmuring taking place beneath the surface, and now it's come up above the surface, and this problem has developed. It's finally spread to where now uh, the, the church is threatened. Its unity is threatened. This was a significant threat then. It's a significant threat now. Satan will use distrust. Satan will use resentment in the church to divide. Understand, when Acts chapter 6 opens up, this is an attack from the enemy through a spirit of grumbling and complaining. I know that never happened at church. I know I never happened at Baptist church, right? But that's what's happening here through grumbling and complaining. And when that happens, understand that Satan is the director of that orchestra and he is using the church members as the instruments. And my counsel to you, my plea to you, is don't allow Satan to play you. Because it's what's happening when things open up in this church. What's the church going to do to respond? Verse 2. And the 12, that's the 12 apostles, they summoned the full number of the disciples and they said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer, to the ministry of the word, 
and what they said pleased the whole gathering. That's how we know what the Baptist church is. What they said pleased everybody. Everybody was happy. <laughs> so what happens is that you don't want to misinterpret what the apostles are saying because what's happening is, is they're, they're not saying that waiting tables is beneath them. In fact, they've spent five chapters in Acts doing just that. that they, these, these men are servants. They are people who don't mind serving other people. But the apostles had a specific calling. And that specific calling was to pray over the church and to effectively teach the word. And they realized that the load was becoming too heavy for them to do that effectively. It's not that one part was more important than the other. It was that their calling as apostles was to do a specific thing. And they were no longer able to do it. And so they said, who can take up this burden? Who can take up this responsibility so that we can focus on what God has called us to do. That's how verse 5 continues. And it tells us that they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon. Pumbaa was somewhere we don't know exactly where. That's a Lion King reference there. Y'all go home, Google, Google Lion King, and you'll get that later. It'll be really funny later. And, and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. It's always good when the preachers get saved. <laughs> and Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. All these people are coming to faith in Jesus, and it causes an uproar. Apparently, Stephen is one of the guys who is leading a lot of people to faith in Jesus, and so the religious elite call Stephen to task, and they say to him, you've got some explaining to do to us. And in response, this ordinary guy who not spent one day in apostolic ministry, this ordinary guy stood up and preached the longest sermon in the book of Acts. He preached that sermon uh, specifically in, in chapter 7. He spends that whole chapter preaching to them. And his, his sermon, in fact, if you look at the end of chapter 7, it's summarized over in chapter 7, verses 51 through 53. This is, this is Stephen's conclusion, okay? <laughs> Don't ever complain about how I conclude a sermon ever again after this, all right? This is how Stephen concludes his service. You stiff-necked people, Preach uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Stephen's sermon he pretty much lays it out and says, look, God sent you prophets to warn you, and you ignored them. Your fathers ignored them, and you're ignoring the very prophet of God, Jesus himself. And, and you're not able to keep the law, Stephen said. You can't do it. You're lost without Jesus. And notice the response to his invitation, which I'll admit to you gives me great comfort and hope because I have yet to have an invitation go this way. Verse 54. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. 
And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Mark that in your memory. We'll talk about him soon. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. That's the Bible's way of telling you he died. He was killed, the first Christian martyr. Stephen was a common man who made some uncommon commitments. And in doing so, he challenges us today. So I want to share with you the uncommon commitments that he made. And I want to ask you if you'd be willing to consider making those same uncommon commitments, no matter how common you think you are. First is this, Stephen, he had an uncommon commitment to serve. In fact, he's introduced to us the very first time we meet him, the words that are used to describe him is that of a servant, as someone who was waiting the tables, someone who was going to clean up after other people. Hey, that role probably wasn't that glamorous, but it was something that needed to be done. You see, Stephen was obviously, as we see, a very capable leader. He was a solid theologian. If you'll read his sermon in chapter 7, you'll see he was a solid theologian, and he was a pretty good gifted preacher. But he didn't say, no, 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 I need something that fits kind of more of my gifts and my skills. His attitude was, you know what? This is not about me. And if this is how I can serve the body of Christ, then I'll gladly do it. You see, Stephen's service, don't miss this. It teaches us that when you're serving God, there is no such thing as insignificant service. See, waiting on tables doesn't seem to be that significant. But if Stephen had not cleaned up the tables and ministered to those widows, the church would have split. They were ready to split. They were ready to go their opposite ways. And the apostles were overworked. They couldn't keep doing it. Had Stephen not served in something that seemed so simple, but had he not served in that way, the church unity is not preserved. And we don't know what the story and how the story of the church would have played out. Will you make the same commitment to serve? Now see, let me rephrase that. Because we're talking about uncommon commitments of common people. Not common commitments. It's quite common for people to commit to say, you know what, well, I'm gifted in this area, so I will serve in this area. That's common. What is uncommon is for someone to say, here is a need. And while that need is not in my area of giftedness, and even though that need is not very glamorous, I'm going to serve, I'm going to meet that need, because sometimes you simply serve to meet the need that exists right in front of you. Stephen did not wait on tables because he took a lifeway spiritual gift inventory and it said his spiritual gift was waiting on tables. Stephen waited on the tables because he saw a need 
and he wanted to meet that need. I want to challenge you to make room in your life to serve in ways that may not particularly excite you, but that simply meet a need. That's how you maintain an uncommon commitment to serve. That was one of his uncommon commitments. A second uncommon commitment that Stephen had was not just to serve, but also to Scripture. See, in their roles as apostles, nothing was more important for the apostles than to accurately share the word of God with the church. For the apostles to have filled their schedule with anything that would remove their ability to properly teach scripture would be a disservice to the church. Stephen knew this. Stephen recognized this. And so he served in order to free up the apostles to study, pray, and to teach the truths of scripture. But don't miss this. It's not the apostles who preach the sermon in chapter 7. It is Stephen, Stephen, who has not had theological training, Stephen, who is not an apostle. It is Stephen who preaches the longest recorded sermon in the book. Now think about this. How did Stephen get that knowledge? Or better maybe phrased, where do you think Stephen got the knowledge he shared in his sermon? He got it from listening to the apostles as they taught the word of God. He was committed to listening and to hearing and to embracing Scripture. You see, Stephen made his own commitment to Scripture. It was not just to enable the apostles to do it, but Stephen himself wanted to encounter the God of this world. Have you committed yourself to Scripture? Let me ask you this. Don't answer this one. Let this one simmer for, and percolate for just a second. If you're in a situation and you need, and, and the situation presents itself for you to share the gospel with someone else, are you able to share that gospel? Or are you going to call the preacher and say, Preacher, I need you to share the gospel with somebody? I don't mind doing it. That's your job too. Or if someone comes to you and says, look, I'm struggling with this. Is there any help from the word? Are you able to say, you know what? Yeah, these verses come to mind. Or do you have to go, wait a minute, I need to call the church office to talk to somebody on staff. Got to ask Dr. Jackson if he can tell me some helpful verses for this. Now look, we don't mind doing that. In fact, we, we do that every week. and We don't mind doing that at all. But you need to be equipped to do it as well. That's how Stephen was able to do it because he didn't, he, the, Stephen was in places the apostles were never there. And Stephen had to know scripture if he was going to share the hope of the gospel with them. There are going to be places in your week to where you have the opportunity to speak the truth of God. And I'm not going to be there. You, you, you have got more opportunities than I have. Your circle of influence is bigger than mine. And you're going to be in places where me, your, the, the church staff, that we're not there to, to pump in Bible verses. And you need to have that commitment to Scripture. So as you are prepared with whatever opportunity God gives you to share the hope that you have. Again, we don't mind doing it. And we love to come alongside you. 
But we want you to be able to have that ability. And the only way you have that ability is by having a commitment to Scripture. Stephen had an uncommon commitment to Scripture. He also had a very uncommon commitment to the Spirit. From the very start, back in Acts chapter 6 and verse 5, we are told that Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit. So he preaches, and his sermon is powerful. And that power is seen. A common man filled with the Spirit of God. You notice what it tells us about him? Is that it was through Stephen that many signs and wonders were being done. The only other time that someone's mentioned doing that is the apostles until Stephen. Stephen, a common man, filled with God's Spirit, does anything that the apostles can do. See, ordinary, (coughs) common people like me and like you, when we are filled with the exact same Spirit of God, we can do uncommon things for the glory of God. I want you to listen to an amazing statement. uh, that, that It blows my mind every time I read it that Jesus made about the Holy Spirit of God. He made this statement in John chapter 16. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I, Jesus, go away. Because if I do not go away, Jesus said, the helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus is saying, it hurts my head to think about. It will be better for you if I leave because the only way the Spirit can come and empower you is if I go away. Now, It sounds absurd because you would think that having, if Jesus was literally here physically, you think that'd be a really neat thing. You run out of bottled water at your fellowship, boom, there it is. Someone says, what's this Bible verse mean? Ask Jesus, boom, there it is. So you think it'd be really awesome and great, and no doubt it would, but Jesus said it's better for you that I go away because when I'm not there, I'm going to send my spirit And my spirit's going to fill every single believer so that they can go and do what they have been called to do. It's important to understand, however, that this occurs only if you have an uncommon commitment to the Spirit of God. That is a commitment to walk in the Spirit every day, to take direction from the Spirit, to move in step with that Spirit. Will you make that uncommon commitment? Stephen had this uncommon commitment to serve and and to Scripture and to the Spirit I want you to one more to you, though. He had an uncommon commitment to selflessness. Not selfishness, selflessness. This is one of the most uncommon commitments a person can make in culture and in church. Because the Burger King mentality is in our culture, it's in our church. It is your life, you ought to be able to have it your way. Everything in our culture tells us to exalt self above all others. 
But Stephen makes such an uncommon commitment to the attitude, it's not about me. His attitude was so strong about that idea and that reality that he was willing to lay down his life. That's how selfless he was. Now understand that we may not be called to the level of selflessness that Stephen experienced. Understand that we'll probably not have to lay down our lives and die for speaking the gospel, but we nonetheless are called to an uncommon commitment of selflessness. Jesus framed that commitment in this way. He said, in Luke 9:23 if anyone anyone would come after me let him deny himself take up his cross daily and follow me denying self taking up your cross following Jesus requires selflessness selflessness requires the surrendering of everything in our lives the good and the bad to the sovereignty of God asking God to Use everything that happens to us to further his kingdom and to give him glory. Stephen had that kind of commitment. I'm going to admit to you that when I see his commitment to unselfless or to, to selflessness, that I look at my life and I go, huh, I don't know if I'm there yet. And that causes me to ask the question, how? How was, was Stephen able to make this, this commitment? I, I'm going to hurry. Today's my wife's birthday. I got to get her to McDonald's before the Presbyterians get there. All right? I'm going to hurry. I promise. I promise. We're getting close. We're getting close. And I think the answer to that question of how Stephen is able to do this is found in the last scenes of his life. When Stephen looked up into heaven. He saw Jesus standing, ready to receive him. Jesus, watch, Jesus was selfless for Stephen. And now Stephen is selfless for Jesus. Stephen prayed, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Where have we heard that before? Jesus on the cross, Father, forgive them. Don't hold this against them. They don't know what they are doing. Jesus on that day, when Jesus was crucified, he prayed that God would not hold Stephen's sin against him. And now Stephen is praying that God would not hold others' sins against them. Stephen is becoming to others what Jesus had been to him. When you, when you believe the gospel and when you behold the gospel, you become the gospel. Stephen believed it and he beheld it and he became the gospel. He followed the example of his Savior. Did you notice the posture of Jesus in Stephen's vision? Stephen saw Jesus standing. Every other place in the New Testament that talks about Jesus at the right hand of God, 
every other place, Jesus is always sitting. This is the only place after the resurrection where Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, where Jesus is seen as standing. Jesus is standing in affirmation of Stephen. He's standing and he's saying, the religious leaders are wrong. Jesus is saying, Stephen got it right. Oh, those, those, those false preachers, they called Stephen a heretic, but the greatest theologian who ever lived, Jesus said, no, Stephen has it right. Earth was condemning Stephen. Heaven was commending Stephen. Earth was rejecting Stephen, and heaven was receiving Stephen. And though it looked like his life was in the hands of the enemy, and though it looked like his hands, his life was under the control of the enemy. Stephen was actually in the hands of God who was going to use the selflessness of Stephen for the glory of God. And when we see Jesus in the same place for us, standing to affirm us and our commitment to him, when we have that conviction that he is in control, it frees us to be selfless because we know there's nothing that is out of of his hands. That is his uncommon commitment. The saying it's not about me. And it's not about my wife. It's about the glory of God. And let me just ask you this morning. What's it about for you? What's it about for you? What is the focus of your life? Because long before, wrapping it up, I promise. Long before Stephen makes his commitment to serve. Long before Stephen makes his commitment to scripture. Long before Stephen makes his commitment to be selfless. Long before any of these commitments, Stephen makes a commitment to a Savior. And that commitment to a Savior enabled him to do what God called him to do. And here we are some 2,000 years later, still talking about this guy who shows up in this one little area of Scripture not an apostle, not part of the original gang who went out and was at the cross, not part of any of that, just a regular, common guy who had some uncommon commitments. We are common people. We have an uncommon God. Would you make some uncommon commitments to him today? Would you bow with me? I'm going to pray in just a second. After I pray, we're going to uh, stand and sing. And, and I just want to ask you, which of these uncommon commitments do you need to make today? And, and maybe the one you need to make is that commitment to a Savior. There's never been a time in your life when you have confessed your sin to the Lord and asked Jesus to save you from your sin. That's a commitment you can make today. It's an uncommon commitment because the Scripture tells us that there will be more people in hell than there are in heaven. I don't want you to be one of those who spends eternity separated from God. You don't have to be. 
Make a commitment to Jesus today. If you've got questions about what that means, come down to an invitation and say, Preacher, let's talk about it. We'll get you somebody and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. Those of you who've made that commitment to a Savior, have you made a commitment to serve as Stephen was willing to serve? To say whatever it is, even if it's not glamorous, even if it's not in my wheelhouse, whatever need God puts in front of me, if that's emptying out a trash can in a bathroom, I'm going to do it because it needs to get done. Are you committed to Scripture? To where it so permeates your life that also must come out of your life? Are you committed to the Spirit of God and to being selfless? I don't know what God has placed upon your heart today to do. I do know that when he places something upon your heart, your response should be surrender. Would you say yes to whatever God's calling you to do today? Father God, as we think about what Jesus has done for us, we see that he is our Savior because he had an uncommon commitment to live a life that we could not live, to die a death that we should have died so that we can have salvation. So, Father, I pray today, if there's one listening today, and they've never placed faith in you, that they would make a commitment today to follow you as their Savior. That even at this moment, they would confess as best they know how their sins and ask to receive your salvation and you into their lives. Father, for those of us who made that decision, whether it was a week ago or a year ago or 10 years ago or 50 years ago, God, I pray that our commitments would remain strong, that Stephen, as our example, would challenge us to make uncommon commitments and watch what an extraordinary God can do with the ordinary lives of his followers when they're fully surrendered to him. Have your will and your way with us today. In Jesus' good name I pray. Amen. Let's stand.